Well, a few months ago, uh, when Pastor Gary asked me to preach, uh, he gave me the option of preaching two Sundays, uh, last week and, and this Sunday. So I chose today thinking, well, I'd have an extra week to, to prepare and to give me more time. Well, a couple, a couple weeks ago, it dawned on me that um, I had the difficult position of preaching after Enoch. And uh, I thought to myself, oh, great, I think I'm in trouble here. And to be honest, it even crossed my mind to ask Enoch if we could switch weeks so I could go first and he could go second. But if you were here last week, um, you know Enoch's message was just a powerful testimony of the sufficiency and supremacy of the gospel to change our lives. It was a beautiful and amazing message of what God alone can do when we put our hope in his son and his life, death, and resurrection. And so I'm, I'm so thankful to God for Enoch and, and his willingness to open his heart to us and share his passion for Jesus. And even, even if it remains, means that I have the unenviable task of following in his steps today. But God ordains all things for a purpose, doesn't he? And I believe that God has given me a message that fits perfectly with what the Lord has been teaching us here at Trinity the past uh, three weeks. Now let me explain. Uh, the theme of my message is, is worship is everything. Um, now, if you've been here at the services the past three weeks, you might say, wait a second, I, this is the third message in a row that the preacher said that his topic was everything. On Easter, Pastor Gary, speaking on the glorious event of the resurrection, he said, the resurrection changes everything. And you know what? He was spot on in, in making such a statement. For rightly understood and applied, the resurrection of Christ from the dead does change everything in our life, and it gives us a hope that's anchored in Christ, defeating sin and death once and for all. And so last week, Enoch's message was titled, The Gospel Changes Everything. This too is wonderfully true, and Enoch showed us that the gospel is a message of incredible news, one that we should joyfully share with everyone we come in contact with, so they might be changed. And now, I'm coming to you with a message that worship is everything. And while following Enoch may not be my first choice, I believe God has wonderfully orchestrated this past three messages to really fit together quite well. Now you see, in order to become a worshiper that rightly honors God in everything, one must first hear, experience, and apply the truths of what Christ has done for us in the gospel. Pastor Gary and Enoch are right. The gospel, the resurrection, they change everything for us. For Jesus dies on the cross to pay the penalty for sin, and he offers forgiveness and new life for all who believe. Praise God for that. But, and and this is a huge but, but the good news of the gospel doesn't just stop there. The good news and offer of the gospel doesn't stop with just forgiveness of sins and the power of the resurrection in life, but it goes on to give us something even greater. This is where I've been hugely helped by the ministry of, of John Piper and what he calls what is one of his most important books titled God is the Gospel. Piper says that the ultimate gift and benefit of the Gospel is that we gain back God. The great gift of the Gospel is that we are brought back into a personal relationship with our Creator. Forgiveness is, is wonderful and true, but forgiveness is a means to something, not an end. Forgiveness is the truth that our sins have been removed from us, but the glorious benefit of the Gospel is that we've been brought back into a relationship with our maker. That's the gospel. And so the, the glorious news that I wish to share is that we've been brought in a, back into a relationship to worship, 
to worship him. That's what we've been created for. We've been rescued, redeemed, and saved that we can enjoy God forever. So it, it's, it's true. The resurrection is everything. The gospel changes everything so that worship can be the pursuit of our lives and, and that worship would be everything that we do. And so it's neat how God kind of put these things together. 1 Peter 3.18 supports this. It says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you back to God. That's the promise of the gospel. And then Enoch preached on, on these verses last week. It says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So here we come to conclusion that we can't just stop that the gospel brings forgiveness, changes our lives, sets us free, but also it makes us a worshiper. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, that, that, that the importance of what it means to worship God. Um, so the gospel truly does change everything. It enables us to come and worship God for who he is, for what he's done. It sets us free from self-worship um, and brings us into God-worship the very purpose for which we were created for. So my aim in today's message is to challenge, um, is to challenge our often narrow and truncated understanding of what true worship is, the magnitude of worship. So my prayer is that, that the Lord might set us free from small and minor ideas and the thoughts of worship, and he would give us a glorious and magnificent picture of what worship is meant to be. And so my prayer is that we all might see that worship is everything and rejoice in that truth. Uh, Let me pray once again. Lord, thank you for this morning and just pray that you would open our hearts to to the power of worship. That is what we were created for, is what we were made to be, is what we're created to do. And Lord, so, so open our eyes to that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So upon graduation from high school, I had the privilege to go to Grand Valley State. And so, um, by God's grace, one of the, the most important decisions I made in my college years was a decision I made in the very first week of school. It was the decision to seek out a body of Christian believers. So my first week of school, I was kind of scanning uh, the board of the upcoming events on campus, and I saw a flyer. It was a flyer for a canoe trip on Labor Day weekend with a Christian ministry on campus called, quite generically, Campus Ministry. And so it was during that canoe trip that um, the Lord kind of enfolded me into a, a wonderful fellowship of college students who loved the Lord. And out of that weekend, out of that weekend, I went to every campus ministry event that was offered, and I began to grow in my faith, and I began to hunger more and more for the Lord. Now, specifically, I, I began to hunger in the area of praise and worship, of singing. So I imagine many of you, I, I hope and pray, have had a time in your life when worship of God through singing kind of takes on a new, um, a new uh, level, that it takes off in your faith. And, you, and there's, there's times in our life when we just hunger to meet together and, and sing to the Lord. For many people, it maybe happens during your college years when you're gathered together with kind of passionate young people and, and singing kind of newer songs of kind of fresh expression to the Lord. If you know what I'm talking about, you know how sweet those experiences are and, and how wonderful those times are in your life. For me, that was, that was my college years, and, and I just embraced what it was to worship God, to worship the Lord through song. I longed for those times that we would meet um, on campus and, and we would sing and praise the Lord. 
So it was actually, um, it was actually during the beginning of my sophomore year that I, I picked up the guitar and I started to want to learn how to play the guitar so I could worship the Lord. So the very first song that I learned that I spent hours upon hours practicing was a simple song called Lord I Lift Your Name on High. It was an old song then, still an old song now, but the easiest song I could learn and I was so excited just to be able to sing that song to the Lord and um, that was a really neat thing. Uh, the neat thing also is that the very next year, I was able to, to join the praise team and use that gift that the Lord was giving me to, to praise the Lord and, and, and worship Him. Um, and so, now work, now, um, also in my college years, uh, I was going, working at Christian camps in the summer. And so I'd made quite a few friends at Hope College. And so as you know, Hope College is a, is a Christian university, Christian school. And, um, one of the neat things that Hope College had is they had a, a gathering on Sunday night that, again, quite generically, they called the gathering. And they would, uh, hundreds of Christian uh, young people would get together and worship the Lord. And um, now the thing about that gathering was that it was the place to worship in, in kind of the whole area. College students from all different campuses went there. They had a great praise team. They worshiped the Lord with fun songs. And so every week my junior year, you would find me at Hope College at Sunday night. So by far, it was the highlight of my week. And no matter if I fit, it didn't really, even if I had an unfinished paper due or a test that I needed to study for, I wouldn't miss the gathering for anything. But I share that kind of highlight and high, but really there was an ever-growing problem in my life my junior year. My life Monday through Saturday was a wreck. I struggled to find motivation and purpose um, with my schoolwork, so my grades were suffering terribly. Uh, it was my junior year, and I just started kind of upper-level chemistry classes, and I was unable to really coast by like I did my first few years. The classes were much harder. And really, to put it bluntly, I was a slacker in the classroom. I was. I was not giving my all to the Lord, and I just didn't see why it mattered. Um, after I failed organic chemistry uh, for the first time, I thought to myself, it's not such a big deal. I mean, it's only chemistry. What truly is important in life is my relationship with the Lord. That's what really matters. That was my thinking at the time. So my mindset with school was that, you know, it wasn't really that important to God. Now, as you know, this was a faulty belief. I cared um, very little about my school and my life, and my life, Monday through Saturday. And I invested myself into being on the praise team. I invested myself on Sundays, passionately worshiping the Lord at Hope College and, and serving Him. But as you can see here, clearly there was, there's a dis, there was a disconnect in my life. I had wrongly created this division, a division of my life into to two spheres. Uh, there was a Christian sphere where I'd passionately seek the Lord and worship Him um, with everything that I did. And then there was a everything else sphere where, you know, it just didn't matter as much. And, and I was just trying to get by in that sphere. And again, as you can easily see, I had huge misconceptions and wrong thinking about what life is like and supposed to be as a Christian. Specifically, my understanding of what true worship really is. My understanding of what it meant to worship was, was hugely narrow in perspective. So in essence, I believed worship was limited um, to the gathering of God's people to sing. That's what I thought worship was. If you ask me, what does it mean to worship? I said, well, it would be come to sing to the Lord and praise his name. And that's very true, but it's very narrow. So I thought singing was the pinnacle of Christian worship. And everything else felt 
less important when it compared to what we're doing this morning, of coming to God's house and singing praise to him. Now, thankfully, God did not allow me to remain in such faulty thinking, or else I probably would have failed out of college. Um, but it was during the end of my junior year that I began to study more and more about worship. And really, the reason was that I can be a better worship leader. And so I was studying the Bible. And the irony is, is that God took my desire to learn more about worship in, through song, and he kind of convicted me that I was robbing him of worship with all of my life in the broad sense. God's word from Romans 12.1 completely blew open my faulty and limited understanding of worship, and literally it revolutionized my life and saved my schoolwork because I just wasn't doing it for the Lord. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now my concern for us this morning is that our understanding of of worship sometimes can be too small, too narrow, incomplete. All too often we can find understanding an application of worship to an activity at church or what we do in our quiet time with God. The problem is this tendency can make worship and, and, and to make worship into event is, is really actually nothing new. It's a problem that this has existed from the very beginning. There's a familiar passage in John chapter 4 where Jesus has an encounter with a Samaritan woman at the well. And so as we'll see in a moment, she too had a very narrow understanding about the true nature of worship. Um, let's read this passage, but we're going to jump in kind of, if you're familiar with this passage, it's a great passage. We're going to jump in towards the end. But Jesus, to set it up, Jesus is walking from Jer- Jerusalem north to Galilee. He's got to travel through Samaria, and he meets this woman. And he's trying to share with her what it means to, 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 to receive himself as the true life that he offers water and a spring of water that will never leave you thirsty. But she kind of, and he also points out that she... Um, has, has had like five different husbands. And, and she kind of quickly wants to turn the, 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 um, the discussion away from herself. And so she brings up a question. And so that's where we pick it up here. Um, it says, verse 19, it says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And then she goes on to say, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews, but you, the Jews, claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. So what is going on here is a Samaritan woman brings up the worship war of her day. Her question has to do with, where do you worship? As a Samaritan, they had set up worship at Mount Gerizim. And that's where they thought, you know, this is kind of where you worship. But the Jews said, no, 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 no. You have to worship in the temple at Jerusalem. This is where true worship is and worship takes place. And so the debate in their day was about location, about where it's at. Where does right worship take place? So what does Jesus do? Well, he takes her question, her very narrow question, her very limited question about what is worship, and he seeks to direct her to a much bigger 
concern about really the true nature of worship. And so she raised the issue of where people ought to worship. Jesus responds by saying, that controversy can't really compare. The real issue is not where or when you worship. The real worship is who you worship, that is, the Father, and how you worship, that you worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus was breaking apart her paradigm of that worship takes place at a location event. He was saying, no, no, true worship is spirit and truth, all of your heart, all of your life, in, in heart and mind and truth to give to the Lord. And so what I want to think about this morning is, is how um, is our perspective on worship sometimes narrow? And that the Lord would set us free from thinking of worship too much in limited terms, but he would give us a broad understanding and really redeem our life to understanding that all we do is worship. So Jesus says, true worshipers will worship the Father. So think about that phrase. He doesn't say worshipers. as like, okay, worshipers are just Christian people. True worshipers. So there is false worshipers. His adjective recognizes that there's a type of worshiper that's true, and there's a type of worshiper that's not true. We're all worshipers. Worship is the activity of really the human soul. Everybody on planet Earth is a worshiper today. Everyone on planet Earth is living a lifestyle of worship. So in its broadest sense, worship really is a 24-7 activity. It's what we do 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that's what I want to convey to us this morning, is that everybody is a worshiper. It's not about what you do. It's not about a location. It's not about a place here this morning. It's really about who you are. We cannot help but worship. I believe that as Christians, um, part of the problem lies in the way that we use the word worship with one another. So unknowingly, we kind of have used the word worship in such in a narrow and insufficient way that's really kind of robbed us from the bigger picture of what worship truly is. So let me give you a few examples. Often we'll, um, someone will come to us and we'll say, you know, where do you worship at? And the question is, where do you go to church, right? So that where is that place that you worship? So it's kind of a place. Or someone will ask, well, how was worship today? So what we're asking is, well, how, how was the song? How was the sermon? And so we say, how was worship in a certain time and place, meaning Sunday morning. And we say, you know what, how, how, what type of style of worship do you do at your church? Well, what are we saying there? Well, you know, do you do hymns? Do you do contemporary music? So again, we're using the word worship in a very limited sense. And not that that's bad. What we're doing this morning is worship. But we've got to start saying, you know what, how is your life worship today? How are you coming into this place uh, worshiping? And so, so often our word the way we use worship can be in a very limited sense. Now, to help us see that worship is infinitely bigger than the narrow ways we often use the term, let me try to broaden our definition. The English word for worship literally is worth, ascribing worth to something. So it's much more than just uh, worth to God, but it's just worth in general. Worship is worship's about ascribing worth and value to something or someone. So in essence, worship is saying, this is what is most important to me. This is what I value most. This is what gets me up in the morning. This is what I think about or fantasize about. This is what I dream about. This is what I look to to give me significance and, pership, significance and purpose. That, that's, that's, in the broadest sense, worship. It's what we think and dream about, live for, get up in the morning for. Um, it's much bigger than just where we gather, even though that's important as well. So, 
really what I'm trying to say is the truth of the matter is that each of us were, hide, were hardwired for worship by God. We're hardwired to glory and something beyond ourselves. Every human being is a worshiper of something or someone, and it's something that we do 24-7. Um, I find this to be so evident in our culture when it comes to sports. Um, our culture worships sports, don't they? And, and I have to admit, I'm a recovering sports worshiper, and I still struggle with that temptation. I do. Uh, every Sunday morning, our culture uh, gathers in the fall, huge arenas. You've got these normal accountants and guys that, are, that all of a sudden dress up and have painted faces and are screaming and yelling for their favorite football team. Um, there's my wife kind of I learned early on my... Um, idol of sports worship. When we were first married, I worshiped Michigan football. And so on Saturday mornings, um, she could tell right away, Saturday afternoon, if Michigan lost or won. Because I, I was quite crabby and, and I was quite mean when Michigan lost. Like, it ruined my day. And I was, she, didn't, she knew to not be around me if Michigan lost. And, um, and so I had, to, I had to work that in my own heart because I, I was worshiping uh, at, the, at the altar of sports. And so every Sunday, there, there is that. Our televisions become altars. Um, and so one of the things I saw this week was on Monday night, there was a really amazing worship gathering going on on television. And if you know what I'm talking about, I'm referring to March Madness. It was a national championship game. And um, I was kind of thinking about this message and preparing and thinking about our life as a worship, and everybody's a worshiper, and I was like, this is a picture of it. And so I'm watching the screen, and it was an exciting game if you watched it. Um, back and forth, uh, there was these, these runs, and the screen would, would, or the camera would turn to the, um, the crowd after some guy hit a huge three-pointer. Um, this little guy named Spike Albrecht came off the bench and scored like four three-pointers. The Michigan fans were going nuts, and you turn, the camera turned to them and showed them, and what were they doing? Oh, they were worshiping in great zeal. Their hands were raised up. I mean, the psalmist would have been excited because here it is. They were lifting their hands to something, praising the Lord, singing shouts of praise, excitement. But it wasn't to the Lord. They were worshiping their team. They were worshiping the shot that was made. And so that was just a picture, and it really is a picture of our culture, that, that we are all worshipers. We can't help but worship. And the sports world is one um, way that we see that. We see that uh, so evident. Televisions every day become altars as we come and worship before the God of sports in our culture. The reality is, is the activity of the human soul is to seek something of great value and to ascribe worth to it. Now, I imagine all of you are on board right now. Inside, you're saying, yeah, yeah, Travis, I, I completely agree with you. Worship is ascribing something worth value. But you know what? I, I don't do that. You know, I don't do that to other things. I do it to Jesus, right? So if I asked you the question, what do you value and cherish above all else? And I'm certain that I would get the answer that, well, I glory in Jesus. I cherish him above all else. This is what I love with all my hearts. Now, I want to say something here that no way do I wish to take away from what the Bible commands. And the Bible commands that we are to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord to be saved. You're supposed to make a confession with our words and it's good and fitting to do that. But a response of worship to God cannot simply just remain at words. It cannot just remain at just a confession or, or just giving lip service to God. Worship in its truest and fullest sense will also manifest itself in response of our life um, and our bodies to worship. 
So let me say this, hear this. Worship is not so much defined by what we say, even though that's important, that we say that we love and honor God. But worship's not so much defined there, but more defined and exhibited by how we live. It's not determined just by our words, but by our walk. Here are, there are a few verses that get at the importance of this, about living all of our life to worship 24-7. The first one is 1 Corinthians 10.31. Great verse. And it says, whether you eat or drink, Paul is saying, you know what, eating and drinking are the normal activities of the life. And so he's saying, anything that you do, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Colossians 3.23 says something similar. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. And then 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, in all your actions, in your life, in what you do. And then finally, Romans 12, 1, what we heard before. Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, offer your body. Offer your body as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing. This is your spiritual act of worship. So you see, here's the deal. Our lives are worship. And so we could give confession this morning. Yeah, I worship in glory in Jesus alone, and that is a great start. But really, the rubber meets the road is when we follow the trail of our life. See, each one of us has a trail. It's a trail that reveals what we supremely treasure. Each one of us has a trail that, that, that shows what we truly love. Really, what kind of trail is it? It's a trail of our time, a trail of our affections, of our emotions. It's a trail of what we invest our time in, a trail of our devotion, our allegiance, of our possessions, our belongings, our resources. If you follow that trail and if you watch your life, what you're going to find at the end of that trail as you follow the breadcrumbs of what you give your allegiance to, what you give your time, resources, and passions to, what you'll find is, is a throne there. And that's really where the rubber meets the road is how does your life exhibit worship? And very often at the end of these trails, if we followed our life and watched a camera of the 24-7 actions of your life, sometimes, very often, we find at the end of that trail is something other than the Lord. And our life will exhibit that. Um, and so, how do we worship God, not just on Sunday, but Monday through Friday? What would be at the end of the throne of the trail of your life if we were to follow that? Follow your allegiance and devotion. Well, I'll tell you, all too often at the end of the trail of my life is myself. It's true, though I don't think you're very surprised about that. Because um, really, it's the great sin of all hu- humanity, isn't it? Pride, that we would want to elevate ourselves above God and above others. Uh, let me share a, a story to illustrate how the disease of self hijacks and robs God of worship due, to, due rightly to him. Uh, a few weeks back, I'd been working on this message and asking the Lord, what do you want me to, to teach? What do you want me to, to share? And so I kept coming back to, to this topic, what I'm sharing this morning, of worship. The theme of worship as all of life, as a 24-7 action. And so I really wanted to, to, to impress upon you the cosmic truth that, that worship is everything that we do. And I wanted to share that really it's, it's something that's revolutionized my life. And so I wanted to share that. So with these thoughts kind of ruminating in my mind, in the back of my mind, um, my wife asked me to go to the store to pick up some frozen peas for a tea party. She was having the very next day with some ladies at church. Sounds like a simple request, right? But get this. It was like 11 p.m. that she asked me to do this. 
she needed frozen peas to make a, a chicken salad recipe. And she was asking me to go out at 11 p.m. Um, to get these peas at Meyer. Can you believe it? Uh, yeah, I already had my pajamas on. But you know what? Because I love to serve my wife, I went joyfully to Myers at her request to buy the frozen peas. Okay, so, so maybe I didn't do that exactly. But I did go and get the peas, and I did my best not to complain about it too much. But that's not the end of the story. The next morning I woke, and, and I was prepared to enjoy a relaxing Saturday morning on my day off. Um, but to my surprise, my wife had different plans for me. Um, she was helping host that tea party at 11 a.m., and she was real busy trying to get everything ready and together for it, and so she needed my help. And so she asked um, if I would make the chicken salad for her, if I would chop up all the ingredients, measure them correctly, mix them together. And I, I, I couldn't believe that she was asking me to do this. <laughs> so I reluctantly started in my task at hand, but inside there was these thoughts ruminating around. I kept thinking to myself, this is ridiculous. Why can't she be more prepared? I already went out at 11 o'clock last night and got her frozen peas, and now she thinks she can ask me to make this chicken salad, especially on my day off nonetheless. So not only that, I was thinking, you know what? I don't even get to eat this. <laughs> I'm making food that I don't get to eat. And this is a great injustice. So in my mind, these thoughts are running through my head and, and I'm preparing and I'm getting ready to prepare to grumble out loud to her and give voice and say, you know what, this is quite inconsiderate of you to have me do this. I mean, making food that I don't even get to eat myself. But the thing is, at that moment, the Holy Spirit stopped me dead in my tracks. The Holy Spirit said, how, how do you have the audacity to think you can teach others about worshiping God with, with your life when you can't even help and serve your wife and worship me by serving her this morning. Talk about being convicted right in the spot. I completely blew it. Um, I immediately shut my mouth and, and completed chicken salad without saying a peep. Um, the problem was that, that Saturday morning is that I awoke, and who was on the throne? I was on the throne. And I thought that it was my day. I was going to live for myself. And the great tragedy is I had a wonderful opportunity to worship God, to serve him, by serving my wife and helping her in her time of need. Uh, and, but instead, I had myself on the throne. And so I missed out in that opportunity to worship. And I think all too often we do that in our lives. Right now, you're going to go home here in a few moments and to your families, and there's going to be an opportunity to love, to serve your family, to worship God in serving them. And the question is, is are we going to use those opportunities with our life? The verse that comes to mind is Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do... Whatever, whatever you do. It could be changing diapers, um, you know, making dishes, doing the laundry, going to work. Whatever you do, it says work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. So what we worship is not so much defined by what we say, though that's important, but really it's defined by our lives, how we live. Uh, what are we living for? What are we giving our allegiance to? What are we giving our heart to? When we begin to see and think of everything in our lives as an offering to the Lord, I think we realize quickly that much of our life is often too, too often lived for our own glory. We, we, and we glory in something else. Uh, if we were to follow the trail of our thoughts, our passions, and everyday moments, we likely will find there uh, something else on the throne other than God. 
And that thing is what we're worshiping for. It's what we're living for. It's what we're getting up in the morning for. So my challenge for each of us this morning is to begin to see everything in life as worship to God. And to see that, that worship is not just this place that we come to, but worship is how we live in the day-to-day actions and day-to-day um, moments of our life, and how we treat our family, how we treat our spouses, how we do our work unto the Lord. But I do want to share one final point, and it's a critical one. Where do we find the power and the strength to do what I'm asking and challenging us to do? Where do we find the power and strength to worship God with all of our life? And so I want to answer this critical question. Where does one find motivation and power to worship God in everything? To worship God in all life. Where, where is the power and motivation for that? Because, see, you could go out today and you could, you know, by your own strength, have a good afternoon worshiping the Lord. I'm like, that's a great message. I need to think about that. But often that motivation will, will slowly die if it's just in yourself. I think the power of motivation comes from Romans 12.1. And I want to just meditate on that verse just for a few seconds before we talk a little bit about some applications. Romans 12.1 says this. The first, few verses, the first few words are so critically important in understanding of what we need to keep our eyes on if we're going to worship God with our, all of our life. We've been through the book of Romans, and we know Romans 12 is, is this great verse, but it says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. And we've got to stop there because those aren't just throwaway words that Paul is using. Those words have great importance about understanding the power. What Paul's saying is that, therefore, in view of Romans 1 through 11, in view of what I have done for you, that, that while you were yet sinners, I, I, I loved you and I died on the cross for you, in view of that, keeping your eyes fixed on what I've done, then, therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You can't offer your bodies as a living sacrifice if you don't have your view and your eyes fixed on the gospel, on what Christ has done, because that's where the power comes from is seeing that he um, strengthens us for this work of worshiping God with everything, 24-7. And so, to worship God with your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy pleasing, that's our spiritual act of worship. And we need to keep in mind that we do that by fixing our eyes on his mercy, fixing our eyes on what he's done. And so when you're faced with that, that challenge, you know what, how can I serve my spouse? How can I die to myself this morning and, and love my kids? Well, Christ has done that for me. And so in view of what he's done, I can do this. He's the power and strength. And so that's a, that's a critical, important truth that we need to keep in mind, that, that we are able to worship only in view of God's mercy and what he has done for us. And that will give us the power and the impetus of which to worship God with all of our life. I want to close with, close with a few practical applications of 24-7 worship. And so I'm going to pick a few kind of types of people and, and just share some thoughts. Um, first of all, a student. So some of you are students. You guys are students. Um, so the question is, how can you worship God in your grades? You, you, you heard about my debacle, that I, I just thought school wasn't really important. And I hear some of that kind of stuff from you guys, and I want to say it's, it's hugely important. You're honoring and worshiping God in your schoolwork. You can... It's not about getting the best grade. You might get a B, but if you get that B by giving all of your work, doing your best, God will be honored. So God's not concerned so much about grade, but he's concerned about our hearts. Are we giving him our best and worshiping him in our schoolwork? Now, let me give you another application for, for, for young people. Obeying your parents. Um, this is a hard one, isn't it? 
The Bible clearly says, uh, children, obey your parents, for this is good and pleasing. And this, is a prom- this is a command that comes with a promise that, that your life will go well. And so, rather than seeing your parents as an obstacle, do you see obeying your parents as in worship to God? Is that, you know what, what my parents have to say, it's, you know, maybe I don't like it, but I, I'm more concerned about worshiping God. And so, you know what, I'm going to follow and obey them because I love the Lord first. Um, so those are just a couple things. And also even with your friends, to think about how do I worship the Lord with the people that I choose to allow influence me? Is that Am I honoring God by the people I'm surrounding myself with? And so we have to answer that. We're going to have to give an answer that someday with our lives to the Lord. Is that Are we worshiping God in everything we do? Those are a few, just a few examples. Another type of person is a mother. My wife would be a better person to come and share about this. But, you know, I, I, in seeing her life... Um, being a mother is hard work, isn't it? Especially with little kids, you've got the dishes, the laundry, the pile up, um, you've got diapers. So the question is, can you um, change a diaper to the glory of God? Well, I think you can. And it's, it's about saying, you know what, I'm going to put, die to myself and put my family and the things to keep my household and do these things for the Lord, uh, not for um, myself. And, um, and then finally, one other uh, kind of sphere of life is the sphere of work. Um, many of us I've heard, and I know uh, I've talked with uh, a young person, or actually a guy in his 20s, um, a few weeks back, and he's like, you know, I just don't see the purpose in what I'm doing. I mean, I want to go into ministry instead, and I just don't have purpose in, in my work. And I want to just say, yes, you do. Your work, your work is something that God's placed you, and you can do unto Him. The Bible doesn't say that we're going to like our work. But it does say that we can honor him by how we do that. And that doesn't say we have to necessarily like our boss, but we can be a light to others as we treat our boss with respect and, and um, honor him and his commands. And so those are ways that we can worship 24-7. So worship is about worth. It's about value. It's about declaring what's important to me. And so as Christians, God desires, what I'm trying to say today, this morning, is that God desires that all we do be an offering to him. We were created by him to worship. Worship is all of life. Worship matters. Um, it's what we were made to do. And worship is everything. Everything. We're going to close here in a moment with a song. Um, it's a song called The Heart of Worship. And I wanted to share just real quickly the background of this song. Um, it's written by Matt Redman. And the story of how the song was written was uh, back in the 90s, um, Matt Redman had was a great worship leader, and people were coming to his church service to um, consume. They were coming because the music was great, and they were excited about the songs, but it was very self-centered worship. And so Matt Redman and his pastor stopped the worship of song. And so they, they took away guitars, sound systems, and they, didn't, they took them out of the service because, you know what, people were missing the point of what worship truly is. It isn't about the songs. It isn't about the music. It's about coming and offering to God, uh, giving him an offering of worship. Harold Best says this. He says, we do, not, we do not go to church to worship, but as continuing worshipers, we gather ourselves together to continue our worship but now in the company of brothers and sisters. The people at his church weren't getting that. Sometimes we don't get that as well. We think that we gather to, to worship, but really we, we continue to worship as we walk in this door. And so this song gets at the heart to say, you know, when the, when the music fades and all is stripped away, um, do we come to the essence that, that it's about our hearts? It's about offering our lives to the Lord and everything and all that we do. 
And so um, that's my encouragement to us this morning. My prayer is that, that I imagine I didn't say anything really revolutionary this morning, but really the question is, can we live and apply this? Can we keep in mind and our hearts in view of the gospel and offer our bodies as a living sacrifice every moment of every day and every little thing that we do, every reaction, every relationship, every thought, how is it honoring to God? It's going to be challenging when you look through that lens, but also it's going to be rewarding because you'll see that you know my life has greater purpose than I thought it had. Um, and so that's my prayer, is that worship would become everything to us. Uh, let me pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. And I pray, Lord, that your words would, would remain. Lord, that we would remember that whatever we do, that we would work at it with all of our hearts as working for the Lord and not for men. And Lord, as we close this service, um, would you bring us back to the heart of worship, that worship is much greater than we often give it. Uh, we, we often think about it, Lord, and help us to now as we go from this place of worship, this corporate worship, and to go back to our homes and continue to worship, continue to worship Monday through Saturday as we love you and honor you in whatever sphere or place you have us. Lord, we love you, Jesus, and set us free to worship you fully. It's in Christ's name. Amen.